Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Talking the Cure, Hogan Lovell's Life Sciences and Healthcare podcast. Today, I'm going to continue my conversation with Philip Katz about his work, how he's managing his team, establishing client relationships, and what he does when he shuts down his laptop and his Blackberry. If you missed the first part of our conversation, you can find the link to it in the description. As always, I'm trying to keep the intro short as we go into each other after this for some housekeeping. Without further ado, let's sit down and talk the cure. The first thing that came to my mind, just as you said, I'm not able to get away from the laptop from time to time and check my emails and check my black terror. But aside of your family, which in my opinion, always comes first. You have, a, you have a responsibility, you have your team. And when you talk about them, they're young, they need guidance and they look up to you. This is your second string family, more likely. Well, well, look, it's, it's a, it's quite, quite honestly, it's a very different kind of relationship. And I am, I am mindful of, of the fact that even if there's some 27 year old second year associate in front of me, he or she is not my child. Um, yeah. but if you mean, and, and I would hesitate to call them family because I think that might be presumptuous. Okay. I take I, it back a, a team, a, like a team. Yes. So, but, but what I would say is, no, you're absolutely right. And, and, and I hope that, that you, you can sense from the discussion that we're having that I take my relationships with and my responsibility really for seriously. the members yeah. of my team very seriously. And, and that is the junior associate, that is the partner, that is the senior partner, that is the administrative assistant. Um, we're all in this together. And while we have, so, so, so number one, while we have different roles, um, for this to work really well, and we need it to work well, we're busy, we're harried, we're pressed, we need everybody to be firing on all cylinders. And so for this to work well, everybody's got to be doing their job well, number one. Number two, um, for this to work well, folks have to not only be skilled and not only able to work hard, but willing to work hard and willing to go above and beyond, whether it's late at night or whether it's over the weekend or whether it's taking on a task that is not really their responsibility. We, we need everybody to be doing that, to be pulling for the team. And that, that exists if you've created an atmosphere where folks are respected and where folks are valued, not just, and I say where they are respected and valued, not where folks feel respected and feel valued. They need to feel that, of course, but it has to actually be true. And when that's yeah. the case, what happens is folks are willing to do amazing things for their colleagues. They really are. And that's, I, I will tell you that one of my, my greatest sources of pleasure and joy and a sense of accomplishment is when I look at the associates among our 35 lawyers um, and I see what they do every day and how they help each other out, let alone how they approach their job with a, with a professionalism that is uh, inspiring. But yeah, that's part of having a team. And that involves um, the relationships, that involves respect, that involves loyalty, um, all of those things. Um, I Commitment. Well, yeah, we're committed to the job, but through our commitment to each other, which is, yeah. which is I think, the key to how we, ac we accomplish it in a, in a, um, in a group-oriented way. As we are already talking about it, what does the practice area especially well? And what do we do? do you yeah, what do you do well? And maybe um, to get kind of the curve... Do you see anything kind of areas of improvement 
um, where you think, okay, maybe we can get better in this particular field. Sure. Sure. For taking it in reverse order, of course, there are things we can do better. And, and, and sometimes I find that I focus too much on that and I get too frustrated uh, and I need to step back and recognize all that we do do very well. I mean, what we do really well, I think, is collaborate to provide top drawer analysis and strategic advice to our clients who are operating in a in a highly regulated and highly really? complex and rapidly and consistent, continually evolving environment. So what we do really well uh, when we do it is provide awesome legal um, analysis and legal advice for folks that's actionable and allows them to accomplish their business goals. And, and I think we do that really well because we collaborate and we do that really well because we're all staying current on the law and we do that really well because we're making sure we understand the client's business and we do that well because we um, work really hard at it and are dedicated. I mean, for all, all of those things that we've been discussing for the past half hour, um, I think that's how, that's one of the things that we do really well. I think another thing that we do really well is we do that in um, a fairly humane environment in terms of recognizing that folks are human beings and that they're not just um, they're not just worker bees. None of us partners, associates, secretaries, support staff. Otherwise, I mean, you know, we're all human beings. And so we recognize um, and, and celebrate, I would say, uh, the humanity of, of everybody. The third thing that I think we do pretty successfully is we do that uh, in a way that celebrates, as I was saying earlier, not just not just fosters, not just respects or acknowledges, but celebrates diversity. The, the, the kind of work that we do requires thinking creatively um, in a context. And um, uh, diverse people with diverse backgrounds um, bring diverse perspectives and having those that's diverse true. perspectives yeah. as part of a team that's trying to create a creative answer for a client is a big part of our success. And so um, I think one of the things that we've done really well is if you look at our team in terms of gender, if you look at our team in terms of a race or ethnicity, if you look at our team in terms of sexual preference or orientation, um, we have a very diverse team. We have a number of folks who work part-time, and it's not just women. We have men who are working part-time as well because of, of other commitments that they have. Um, and I think making that work is all part of what we've done successfully. Um, I, I would hasten to add what, what I think we could improve on is, number one, each one of those things, there's always room for improvement. Yeah. Um, I, I think more particularly, um, one of the last things I mentioned was part-time. I, I, I continually struggle with how to make part-time work, um, part-time work commitments work in practice because the nature of the client demands and the pace at which things come at us, uh, it, it makes it hard to sort of, to, 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 to put a, a hard cap on somebody's available time makes it yeah. hard, doesn't make it impossible. And I think the way that, that you respect uh, um, those part-time arrangements requires a lot of discipline, both on our side. And I say to the lawyers who are working part-time on their side as well, they have to be comfortable saying, I can't do this right now because this is the time where I need to stop working 
for, for whatever it is. I'm picking up my kids. I'm doing whatever. It, we have to respect that. So, so folks who are on those schedules need to be comfortable asserting it. Um, we on the receiving end need to be comfortable accepting that. And I, I feel it's my role, for example, if I'm dealing with an associate and it's my relationship with the client, I feel it's my role to make sure that the client respects that as well. And we have to be prepared to do that. You know, when, when the client says, can you get this done by whatever, uh, Friday morning and it's, it's Wednesday evening and Thursday is the day that the associate um, needs to not be working or is only working part-time or, or whatever. Um, there are times that that associate's schedule has to change, but my default position is to try to say to the client, um, listen, Friday morning is actually going to be really difficult because the person with the expertise who you know and has been working isn't really going to be available. How can we work something out otherwise? Now, sometimes you yeah. can't, um, but that's one of the things that I think we can do a better job at, which is respecting um, and strengthening the part-time uh, work arrangements. Um, uh, potentially, I, um, the overall project management and maybe management of expectation based yes. on the fact that clients coming in with really, really high expectations. And we are definitely from a expertise perspective going to fit those perfectly, but we have to manage their expectation that we, there are times that we are not able to turn around projects in X, Y, Z hours. Yes. Um, based on and, the fact and, that our staffing is what it is. Yeah. And look, so, and look that, listen, that's sometimes the case, not because somebody's on a part-time schedule, but because everybody's working full bore and yeah. there isn't available time. I mean, and I've said that to clients, like, listen, they go, look, it strikes me that this is like a 10 hour project or something. So can you get it done in the next, whatever, two days, um, mm -hmm. 10 hours in the next two days shouldn't be impossible. And sometimes the answer is, um, it is probably 10 hours, maybe it's 12 or 14, but, but we can't get it done in the next two days because of other projects that we already have in the pipeline that, that need to get done. And if you do that correctly, um, the client in most instances will understand and be accommodating. Look, there are also times that you just got to say to the client, absolutely, we'll just take care of it. And then you got to figure out on the back end how to do that. That's that's part of the, of the art of what it is that we do. And what I'm really saying, though, is it's important not to simply have the answer always be sure, no problem, and then have it be, um, you know, take it out of somebody else's hide on the back end. Even recognizing that we're in a client service business and even recognizing that there are other firms that are, that are very good at what it is that we do who are competing with us, we have to be um, mindful of that when we're dealing with clients and when we're dealing with our colleagues. But that sets us apart because you mentioned before that you see us as a business partner and as a valuable member of our client's team. I think that closes your case that you well, say, it hey. Helps. It helps. Yeah, I wish you could listen. It doesn't, it doesn't sort of work all the time, it, obviously. Yeah, but the fact is, yes, part of the, part of the equation, if you will, is if you've built that relationship with the client where they really value what you do and they think that you provide something special or something extra and they know that you bust your tail for them, when you have to say to them, listen, I can't quite meet what your starting expressed goal is, they're perhaps more inclined to be flexible about that because they know that what they're going to get is excellent. And they also know that you wouldn't be asking for that accommodation unless it was absolutely necessary. To close our conversation, um, I, 
wanted to know and i think diversity um i think overall in the whole industry is one of the upcoming challenges or more likely opportunities um so how do you see um or what what do you think are the greatest challenges and opportunities for the industry um in particular pharma biotech um and what are your challenges in this kind of position that you have Uh, you, you mean specifically with regard to diversity or in general? What do I see? No, in general, in, in general. Um, yeah. I, I think with regard to the industry and with regard to the legal services that we provide the industry, the perhaps the biggest challenge, and I, and I think I made reference to it a few minutes ago, perhaps the biggest challenge is um, the evolving technology yeah. and and how regulations as they're written, statutes as they're written, let alone the history of how they've been applied, don't necessarily um, provide the framework that you need to pursue these new, um, these new treatment modalities or other new technologies and evolving scientific and medical knowledge. Right, so so the system that was set up to deal with drugs when they were uh, mass produced for large patient populations that were taking them chronically, and the science behind the drug was X or Y or Z, are not necessarily well equipped to handle uh, drugs with very different uh, technologies. If we're looking at gene therapies, for example, and evolving yeah. tissue therapies. Um, but also to deal with the fact that now often drugs are starting to be developed that are um, not um, for large patient populations taking them chronically, but are for individualized smaller patient populations and sometimes for individual patients. And, and so we all know that there are, there are like cost issues of how do you deal with a drug that if it works, the whole thing goes away. What that means, the patient only gets treated once. So do you get to charge them $2 million or not? I mean, there are those cost issues, but, but I think about it more from a, a regulatory standpoint. How do you develop, how do you take the Orphan Drug Act, for example, and apply it to gene therapies, where one of the basis is, one of the bases for, for orphan drugs is um, stopping, uh, preventing the approval of the same drug for the same indication. Well, defining mm -hmm. the same drug gets really complicated when you look into the science of some of these evolving therapies. That That's just an example of um, what I think is the difficulty of having the regulations and the law have to come along to deal with the evolving and advancing science. I think that's our, our biggest challenge um, for the industry, for the regulators, and for us as people who are advising folks and helping them wend their way through the process. Um, I, I think another challenge um, really is brought about by the technology that we all use to communicate and to do our work. Uh, I mean, I've been doing this long enough that I didn't have a cell phone when this first started. And I can remember the first time I got a cell phone and I can remember the first time I gave my cell phone number to a client. And I can remember the first time that I soon thereafter went on a vacation and the client called me every day, <laughs> every day, honest to God for a seven day vacation. I still remember this. My kids were little and they were not particularly pressing questions. He called me because he could. 
and, yeah. and so, and we look at things like, like Blackberries, and I'm old enough now to still have a Blackberry, um, but iPhones, whatever, we, we look at those things and we thought originally, this is going to make my life easier because I'm going to be reachable um, remotely. Well, it does make your life easier. It also makes your life a living hell if you're not careful about it because, because you're, you're expanded. You're yeah, because you're reachable. Yeah. Um, I used to I used to adore the fact that when I got in the car from the office and drove home, I had 35 minutes that nobody could reach me. Well, that's not the case anymore. That's not the case anymore. And so I think that's a second challenge is dealing with technology and the pace at which folks are looking for us to be responsive to them. And that relates to the third challenge, which I think is how we balance our, I don't like to call it work life because work is part of life, how we balance our work, non-work lives. Um, I think that's, that's for the same reasons, that's a, that's a real challenge in front of us as well. May I ask if the work life, sorry, work life balance um, challenge as this part of your personal goals for this year, maybe? Yes, every year. <laughs> every year, my goal is to focus on the, the, the balance. And, and look, it's very different for me now with children who are in their 20s than it was when my kids were 10, 8, and 5. I mean, it's, it's a different thing. But yeah. it's, and in some ways, it's harder because then it's, you know, before I even get to what I'd like to be doing, um, and I loved hanging out with my kids, as you said earlier, it's also a responsibility. You know, my responsibility to my children isn't what it used to be. And that makes it easier to shortchange that part of my life. Um, but yes, one of my goals for the coming year is to continue to work on that balance. Any other goals to add? I think that's a, it's quite a challenge to manage the workload you have and kind of um, fit your spare time in and make sure you've, you accomplish the things you you you're targeting but um anything else maybe work related uh, i you know work related um i i i think less at the moment of my personal practice and more of the pharma biotech practice area um i'd like to continue um our growth i mean the the, the group was i don't know maybe six lawyers when i came 15 years ago and now it's 35 wow. i'd like to continue our growth um, in a very strategic way. We've been looking, uh, the group as a whole, and certainly the partners and I, at where we think the growth areas are, where we have current needs given, given the workloads. I I'd like to continue to do that um, to make sure that we are, if I could use one of the firm's um, catchphrases, fit for the future. Um, I, I really want us to be well-positioned because of evolving law and evolving science to continue our position at the forefront of practices that do that. And that means we're going to have to do some things that we're not doing now or do things differently. Um, but, but that's what I'd like, both in terms of being at the forefront of the profession and um, in terms of providing opportunities for the folks in the practice to continue to grow and develop and to the extent they want to, to become partners and, and then carry on the traditions of the practice. This sounds really promising. And thank you, Phil. Um, but we are not done because I want to come back to work-life balance before we close this. So if you turn off your BlackBerry and you shut down your laptop, um, hopefully early on a Friday, what does your weekend look like when you don't work and you are able to take some quality time? 
if if I'm if I'm able to to sort of unplug, um, there are there are two things that I would say I I like to do. Three things. One of them is I actually have gotten back to reading. I gave up reading for for pleasure a while ago because I was reading so much at work. It just it wasn't. I I didn't want to. Um, but, it's understandable. But I'm and, I, and I'm a, and I'm a book person. I'm not an e-reader. My wife reads on her iPad and stuff like that. I'm a. I want to. Me hold too. A book and, yeah. and read. Um, number one. Number two. Um, I enjoy spending time with my wife. We've been married for 30 years and um, wow. I enjoy I enjoy hanging out with her and and my daughters live relatively close by so I have family time. The other thing that I do is um, I like to cook. Um, and so I find it very relaxing if I have a full day to sort of plan a meal in the morning, shop for it in the morning and then cook through the afternoon into the evening. Um, and then you get to eat it. But but I enjoy the cooking, I, I think, almost as much as I enjoy the eating. So when you have to come up with a three-course meal right now, what would you do? Mediterranean uh, spiced roasted shoulder of lamb, um, roasted sweet potatoes mashed with um, olive oil, basil, and cilantro uh, drizzled on top, and roasted broccoli. That sounds really, really good. There. All right, that, Phil. That, that, I, I, I was cheating. I was cheating. That's three of the four courses I'm making that's for true. dinner that I'm hosting next weekend. So, <laughs> so that's why it was easy to come up with. Fair enough. Sound really, really good. And um, um, I hope it's going to be excess, success. Um, I'm pretty sure. Me too. Uh, Me too. <laughs> so thank you, Phil, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And it was really, really interesting. Thank you well, very much. Listen, you're welcome, um, and and thank you for your interest. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about um, these things that, as I hope you can tell, I'm enthusiastic about because they're important to me. That's it for today. If you have further questions for Phil, reach out via hogalovels.com. In addition, so you're not missing out on any information regarding industry developments as well as our activities in this sector, Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Leave a like, leave a comment. Thank you for tuning in. We are going to return with more in about two weeks. So please join us again when we're talking The Cure.